Hi, everyone, and welcome to the July 1st, 2022 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your guest host, Krista Kafer, Denver Post columnist. Thanks for joining us as we continue the summer-long search for the new permanent host. The results are in. The Colorado 2022 primary elections are finally over. Republican Heidi Ganahl will be the Republican candidate to run against Governor Jared Polis for his seat, while Republican Joe O'Day will be facing off against Senator Michael Bennett. Patty Calhoun, editor of the Westward, um, Fantastic Westward, uh, tell us, how is that, uh, were, you, were you at all surprised? I know you were thinking that perhaps Ron Hanks could pull it out. Well, before this show started, I was confessing just how wrong I was about many of these. So I think I'm going to have to join in t with Tina Peters in saying it was all rigged. It's a big <laughs> lie. Tina won, which I'd predicted she might do. Ron Hanks won, which I think I might have predicted very wrongly. It's really fascinating that despite all the noise that was made over, let's just say, the more crackpotty edge of the Republican Party, the moderates really pulled through in this election, which makes you wonder, are we just not paying attention? Did people really come out to the unaffiliated to make that much difference when they went out and voted? But it's going to make the November elections much more interesting and closer than they would have been. It's going to make it a little harder for the Democrats because they are actually going to be debating people who have reasonable positions in some cases and are able to talk about them without, say, talking about the big lie. Heidi Ganahl is going to have a very uphill climb, I think, because Jared Polis still is popular, has a lot of money. She still has some things to answer for regarding her own positions on the big lie. Joe Day is an interesting candidate, and I think that's the real race to watch. Marianne Goodland, she is a chief legislative reporter with ColoradoPolitics.org. You know, I noticed that 28 percent of people voted for Tina Peters. That says to me that maybe that is the percentage of the Republican Party that is uh, a little delusional. Uh, does this, uh, what, what do you think? I actually looked at the votes for both Tina Peters and Mike O'Donnell, who on election night actually was in second place. And then uh, as the vote totals changed, of course, Tina Peters came in second, but very, very narrowly. And you have to look at that. 56% of the GOP voters voted for an election denier. The, mm -hmm. the, the only choice was, were you going to vote for somebody who might be running the office from an or in an orange jumpsuit in <laughs> Uh, you know, come January, or you were going to vote for somebody who wasn't going to wasn't under indictment from a grand jury. So, so it tells me that the election denier wing of the GOP is still very, very <coughs> strong. It just they just you just had more who and and I'm I'm going to guess that this the unaffiliated voters who made the difference for Pam Anderson. That's that's been my my take on it. On the the Hanks O'Day uh, race. Ron Hanks never got, he got great traction at the, the state assembly. He couldn't raise any money. I mean, the Democrats did everything they could to help him, and it wound up being a, a lot of money flushed down the toilet, frankly, because the voters just said, no, we're, we're just not going to go that way. Thanks for curing me of my optimism. <coughs> Dave uh, Kopel with the Independence Institute. Do I have any right to be optimistic, or is 56% of the, the GOP still in the denier wing? Well, I, you're, you're a Republican, so I think you've got a lot more reason to be optimistic about the, the Senate and the governor's race than, than a week ago. Uh, the Republicans chose the strongest candidates uh, to put up, and the you know, national political prognosticators have moved 
the Bennett seat from safe Democrat to likely Democrat. Um, Eric Sonderman, I think, had a good observation in the uh, in Colorado politics, where he said uh, O'Day, who's a you know first-time candidate, businessman, reminds him of of Ron Johnson. You know, not not the ridiculous things Johnson did recently, but um, in 2010 when Ron Johnson. Uh, unseated incumbent Republican, Republic, incumbent Democratic Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold. Um, and uh, he sees some of that same energy in O'Day. And in, in, I think o O'Day had a, a great victory speech where he said he wants to be a Republican Joe Manchin. And that's more where the people of Colorado are rather than with a candidate who will vote in lockstep with their party uh, all, all the time. Uh, but I, obviously, there's a huge amount of money on the Democratic side. Jared Polis is a centimillionaire, uh, can spend as much as he wants, and Michael Bennett is a fundraising powerhouse, ran the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee uh, fundraising. So the Dems view, so great news for television stations. There will be lots of ads coming soon. Tyrone Glover, civil rights attorney. So the Democrats put a lot of money into this race, hoping to tip it in favor of the, the Hanks, uh, Peters crowd. Uh, what should their strategy be going forward? I think just staying on message. I mean, the Republicans have painted this as some big recalibration. Everybody's sort of coming back to the center, moderating. But I think really, you know, don't get it twisted. We're still toiling in the margins uh, of this, this party pre-Trump, right? It was in a much different place. and. Yes, we sort of maybe took a, a bit of a step back towards the center, but I think we're still very far right of where that party used to be. So I think the Democrats staying on message, um, continuing to do what, what they've done, um, will ultimately, I think, carry the day at, at the end of all of this. Uh, I think really what made the difference in a lot of these races uh, was you know, name recognition, you know, no variety in, in some cases, and I think that the Democratic candidates still have that in spades, and it'll carry the day. Thank you. Colorado's most expensive race, the Democratic race for House District C, uh, 6, proved to be a close one. Progressive candidate Elizabeth Epps has claimed victory. Meanwhile, Republican candidate Barbara Kirkmeyer will be running against the uncontested Democratic Yadira Caviero in the highly competitive District 8. Marianne Goodland, um, you're tracking these races really uh, strongly. What, uh, what do you think is going to happen? Will these, these two candidates pull it out against their uh, opponents come November? I don't think it's even a question mark in House District 6. That's a, that's a district where it's at central Denver, Capitol Hill, going all the way east out to Windsor Gardens and Aurora. Uh, uh, the voter registration numbers are five to one in favor of the Democrat. Mm. So uh, Elizabeth Epps, her, her toughest battle was clearly the one Tuesday night. Um, the Kirkmeyer-Caraveo race, though, I think that one's going to be very, very interesting to watch, and I think it's going to be really close. Caraveo is a, or I'm sorry, Kirkmeyer is a powerhouse. She is a Weld County institution, and so long as Republicans can turn out the votes, and if Kirkmeyer can appeal to the unaffiliated, which she's going to have to do, in order to win that race, I, I think this is this is frankly her contest to lose. Caraveo um, is a relative newcomer, and that, that also, I'm not sure, plays as well, is going to play as well in Weld County um, as it might in some other parts of the state. Dave Kopel, uh, Epps is pretty far to the left as opposed to March. Um, does she lose some of those moderate uh, voters in the Democratic Party come November? Well, I, I certainly hope so, but as Marion said, that's not going to make any difference. Um, this was a 
parts of this district my dad used to represent uh, for many years. And there were times when he was the only Jewish legislator in the, in the entire Colorado legislature. Um, and I'm really sad to see that the Democratic Party uh, chose a candidate who talks about Jewish sport, billionaire Jewish sports team owners and calls President Obama uh, a puppet of Israel. And her defense on this is, oh, I can't be anti-Jewish because I'm black and queer. Well, I'll tell you, world history shows you can have Jew haters in, of every race and of every sexual orientation. Tyrone, um, looking at the Epps race specifically, is, uh, and I think they made a pretty good case that she is probably going to pull it out, but does that say something about the party, that the party has moved to the left? You know, so I live in District okay. 6, uh, and I'm familiar with Elizabeth Epps. I think what this race symbolizes is with Elizabeth Epps, you get her. Whether you agree with everything uh, that she stands for, uh, she is authentic. You know who you're sending in there to, to represent you. Uh, she's not bought by corporate interests. Um, and so I think that's ultimately you know, what really carried the day. Um, you know, she has positions that maybe some folks disagree with. Um, she has ones where folks in my neighborhood and my district are, are wholeheartedly in support of. But at the end of the day, we know who we're sending there. And I think that, you know, I, I would quote me, eat my hat if uh, at the end of the day, th it wasn't the Democratic nominee who, who carried in District 6. So I think she'll be, be our person. Patty, Caraveo and Kirkmeyer are both very likable women, um, but their differences are not so much about character as they are about policy. What do you see happening in that district? It's going to be a real lesson in how the redistricting worked, pulling together that 8th congressional district, how Colorado, that's going to show us a lot more about how Colorado is really going and where the unaffiliated lean, because we don't know that right now. In Denver, Epps, of course, is going to be in the legislature now. What was too bad and what that race showed us is just the influence of dark money and how even on the state level, going down from the bigger races, dark money can influence it and make it really ugly in neighborhoods across the city. And that was too bad because both of those women would have been good legislators. March would have been good. Epps will be a really interesting legislator for us to talk about here at this table. But District 8 and District 7, both of those congressional districts are going to be wild races. Thank you. More in Congress. Representative Lauren Boebert fended off a challenge in her GOP-leaning 3rd congressional district, while other people who deny the election results lost their races. David Kopel, could you comment on the Boebert quorum race? I, I hope to... I, oh. My own uh, prejudice here, I was sort of hoping Quorum would have done better. Is this mean that the district really loves Boebert or that Quorum just didn't quite cut it? I, I think maybe some of both. Um, and it, it also shows the power of incumbency. You know, if this had been an open seat, uh, Quorum actually would have had a head start because he's been in the state legislature before um, in, in name recognition. But now she's been out. And, and I think she's been, whatever you think of her views, she's been conscientious about going around the district and, and meeting people and uh, appearing to the district to be hardworking for the, the interest of that, of that district. Um, there are a lot of people who say that election denialism is a threat to our democracy, and I completely agree with that. But unfortunately, the vast majority of Democrats who say that don't really mean it, because we see 
the millions of dollars they put in in Colorado to have election deniers elected and how they've done this similarly in Pennsylvania and Illinois more successfully. You know, if you think it's a threat to democracy, then you ought to prefer that the Republican Party nominate candidates who play fair and agree with the accept election results, and even if they're more likely to win and they might vote in ways you don't like, that's still much more important in the long term. But it's really sad that the, the Democrat, much of the Democratic Party, for all its platitudes about how they care about our democracy, don't. And you can also see, see that in how they gobble up and go along with the action denialism of Hillary Clinton from 2016 and Stacey Abrams from 2018. Tyrone, he makes a great point about how, as Americans, we really need to see good, strong candidates in both the Democratic and the Republican Party who accept election results and the peaceful transfer of power. How can we change the incentives during the election so that everyone is on board with doing the right thing? Gosh, I mean, that's really the, the million-dollar question right there, right? Um, you know, how can we get um, I, both parties, in a way, from sort of toiling in the, in the margins? and with a candidate like Boebert, who part of her own sort of personal celebrity and, and notoriety is this, this, this host of, of attributes, uh, including denying elections, including being really over the top on a lot of different issues that give her constituency um, a certain level of confidence. Um, so, you know, when it's not so much about, you know, clicks or, or sort of one sentence headlines or tweets that are, I think, driving um, you know a lot of our uh, election cycles, right? Then maybe we can get a little bit, you know, to a place where uh, folks are just examining these these issues on a much deeper, uh, more I think even analytical level. But right now, it's really you know there, there's so much celebrity we saw in this last um, you know this last round of primaries. Uh, just how much having that recognition um, matters. Um, and it's just really hard to, to give that up because I think it, it transfers into, you know, whether you get the votes. Patty Calhoun, I, uh, you know, I'm sure Bobert's a nice person. I like uh, Corum. Does he have a future still here in Colorado or is he, you know, bound to retire? Well, losing to someone who... Well, there's, there's no other someone like Lauren Boebert, really. Losing to Lauren Boebert really doesn't reflect that much on him. That was going to be a tough, tough race to win. Lauren Boebert, we don't have Tina Peters to kick around, but Lauren Boebert is a gift that keeps on giving. So just last week, she started talking about how it's time for the end of separation of church and state, and the church should be telling us what we do in government. That's novel. She may be losing her office and, and her shooter's grill where she came to notoriety because of the pistol-packing waitresses. Um, the, her lease is not being renewed, which she has said. But I will tell you what will keep renewing is the unbelievable amount of media coverage she gets and the way she can stir people up with her tweets. She is, uh, she's definitely a different part of Colorado, but... She certainly rolled over quorum in the last race. Marianne, um, you know, the, the, these people who uh, great, great notoriety with the things that they say on Twitter and the things that they do, it really is a gift to the press. But is the press kind of responsible, though, for promoting election deniers and other crazy antics? That's, that's a really interesting question, and, and it's one that a conversation that I have from time to time with other uh, other members of the press, and particularly those of us at the at the state capitol, we go back and forth between do do we really need to report some of these things and give them more attention? And 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 the flip side, of course, is 
that you have to, these are these are elected officials or these are people who are prominent in their parties or what what have you and it's it's hard to say no to that be, we we know how good it is for our for our our clicks or for our for the traffic on our on our websites it's fantastic it's also painful to watch because it's it's hard to see people who are uh, advocating against that uh, advocating against democracy in that way you don't want to give them that attention but on the other hand it's awful hard not to well said Denver City Council is also facing changes in leadership. District 3's Jamie Torres hopes to step up as a new city council president in place of former council president Stacey Gilmore. Congresswoman, sorry, Councilwoman Amanda Sandoval will then be running for Councilwoman Jamie Torres's role as pro tem. Tyrone, you live in the city. How do you expect that these leadership changes will affect the council? So this is a council that has really, I think, been, been ready. They've been weathering um, so much of everything that's going on with the pandemic and the, the resulting challenges, uh, which we're still dealing with. But I think they're ready to see this change and shift in leadership and really hit the ground running. Um, and I think it's just going to be an exciting time uh, for the council, especially sort of in this, this, this turbulent uh, era where we have sort of a shift in sort of the strong mayoral uh, power, uh, both via uh, some you know, referendums and things like that, and also, I think, based on what it is they actually want to do. Um, so I think it's going to be an exciting time in the city. It, it, instead of them responding so much to the crises, uh, this feels like a council uh, that wants to get to work. Um, we also have even some, some outsider folks coming in sort of in the same vein <coughs> as, as Elizabeth Epps. I know that civil rights and uh, labor attorney uh, Sarah Parity is also running for one of the at-large seats. So I think we're going to see an interesting dynamic and, and a council that's ready to roll their sleeves up and, and get to work and, and be less reactive. Patty Calhoun, we've got a mayoral race in the, you know, in the future, not too distant. Does the composition and actions of this council, will it affect that race in the future? It certainly could. I mean, Jamie Torres is looking at taking charge in three weeks, which would be when the new city council positions are in. Not the new city council members, but just the positions. So she, if she's elected, no one is up against her to be the council president. She will be, have been in that position for a year when the new council members come in. Presumably she will win her race next April. And so she's come, she'll have a running start to really not just direct the council, but maybe go up against whoever is the new mayor. And there's no question, as Tyrone said, people are getting ready to challenge the strong mayor form. You've seen a lot of actions taken over the last few years where they, they want approval of big appointments and they got it. Council is ready to take charge, but what happens in this mayor's race and the other city council races in April is going to change the direction of the city a lot. We see it with the Epps March race. That was ugly, and I think we could have just as ugly a mayoral race next April. I could see that. Um, Marianne Goodland, uh, Denver is facing some pretty serious challenges right now with crime, with homelessness, with the cost of housing and other issues. How do, how do you think this council should handle that set of, of great challenges? Well, the, it all comes down to the money. And do, can they wield more control over the city budget um, going with, as, as Patty referenced, a strong, uh, going up against a strong mayor? I think that's going to that's going to make a huge difference if they can have more say about how the city directs its directs its money. 
Um, yes, and I, th I think that that's definitely possible. I, th I think the thing that I'm, I'm watching for is to see who Jamie Torres wants to see as mayor. Is she going to want somebody that uh, is more in line with what she wants to do, which is to have a stronger city council, or is she fine with whomever comes out? But the list of people who are running for mayor right now just seems to grow exponentially every day. Half the legislature, I think, wants to be, wants to be Denver mayor. So I'm interested to see the, the relationships that she builds over this next year with those mayoral candidates. Who does she come out uh, in favor of? And is that somebody who she'll be able to work with on the, the vision that she wants to enact uh, for the city of Denver? <coughs> So Dave Kopel, uh, strong mayor, strong council, both systems have their advantages or disadvantages. What do you think is best for the city of Denver? We probably went too far on the strong mayor thing, and it could be reformed, but doesn't have to necessarily be ended. But here's some good news, folks. There's certain elections where the best candidates almost always win, and those are when legislative bodies are choosing their own leadership because the, whether it's in the Colorado House and the, the party leadership or whatever, the candidates know, the, the, the voters, the legislators or council people, know very well who they're voting for. And the legislators or council people vote in their self-interest, which is to have the most competent leadership they can. So that's, you know, that you don't always vote for the most competent person in a general election, but in, at the legislative level, you almost always get the best of, of who's available. So uh, if, if the council thinks Jamie Torres is the best, I will accept their judgment. We can only hope, right? Now for the best part of the day, we are uh, going to do disgrace of the week. So who's been naughty? Patty. Oh, who hasn't been naughty? <laughs> but I want to go with the Denver in Decay crowd. All you had to do was go downtown yesterday for the ABS parade and rally. And I'm sure a lot of people hadn't been downtown since before the pandemic to see that Denver is not, uh, it, it, we have not gone through the apocalypse. It is not Mad Max downtown. You had 500,000 happy people, most of them as drunk as the avalanche, um, <laughs> out celebrating and really having a great day. So I would recommend you get out and go see downtown. There are no question, we've got problems. We've got the mall that's ripped up. We have homeless that are camping in various places just as in almost every major city. But Denver still looks good. You can still go downtown, have a good time, and enjoy the city. And for all those people, there wasn't a single arrest. Well put. Uh, Marianne, who's your disgrace of the week? The 70% of Colorado voters who stayed home and didn't participate. This is, this is the heart of democracy. And regardless of which party you're uh, affiliated with or none at all, please don't do this again in November. Amen. Dave. I think it's okay for people who don't have an informed opinion not to vote. And I also understand that a lot of Democrats, where there were no major races statewide, uh, didn't do, and they might not have even had a local you know, uh, state legislative race to vote in. Um, the sleaziest ad of the year uh, was uh, Representative Doug Lamborn's TV ads against uh, Dave Williams. Uh, Williams had introduced a bill in the le legislature to say if you get a uh, red light camera fine for a minor traffic violation. You can give, instead of paying the fine to the government, you can give, you can pay that amount to any qualified nonprofit. And the Lamborn ad says, instead of helping law enforcement keep us safe, the fines would go to pro-abortion groups like Planned Parenthood and groups supporting the pol defund the police like Black Lives Matter. Um, 
that was extremely misleading. Yeah, you're right. That's awful. Tyrone, who's your uh, naughty person of the week? Well, uh, a group of naughty persons. Um, I'm going to put uh, our SCOTUS Supreme Court uh, on blast uh, for the cascade of decisions that we're all now have to unpack and deal with here in Colorado, not just uh, including the uh, row reversal, but um, EPA stuff, Miranda was, was, was sort of, Miranda rights were taken apart, um, as well as uh, some bad decisions on gerrymandering. So um, those decisions have, have been recent, and they're going to see now the, I guess, the how we're going to deal with those in Colorado. But that's my, my naughty persons of the week. Let's get our nice on. Patty. Since I'm telling everyone to go downtown, the place to, one of the places to go tonight is to Santa Fe Drive, where Art District on Santa Fe will have a big first Friday bash. Over 100 businesses, galleries are open. It's a Frida Kahlo birthday party. Get out and experience the city. Nice. Marianne. Uh, to the GOP voters in uh, Douglas, El Paso, and Larimer counties, who sent a very clear message, I believe, to Rocky Mountain gun owners on their choices for uh, the state house. And I think that message was, go away. I'll second that. Dave? I believe you pointed out that Rocky Mountain gun owners hasn't, and their endorsements in a contested race haven't led to any win for their endorsees in the last two election cycles. Um, uh, Colorado State Senator John Cook, uh, who's finished up his, his final term, and there was a nice uh, interview with him in, in Colorado politics. He had previously been the sheriff of Weld County, and, and mm -hmm. my client in a, in a Second Amendment case. And, you know, as sheriff, you get to be the boss, and if you say, do this, it gets done. And he was one of those people who really could make the transition to the legislature, where it's all about cooperation and building coalitions, and he helped pass a vast amount of bipartisan uh, constructive uh, legislation, and it's no wonder he was elected uh, to his party's leadership. Well said. Tyrone. Got to go back up to SCOTUS, but this time uh, I'm going to be nice. Uh, so my, my something nice of, of the week is uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson being sworn in yesterday, a historic uh, nomination and confirmation. I couldn't agree more. Well, folks, that is all the time we have. I uh, want to say thank you to this fantastic panel. Great job. If you'd like to watch tonight's episode again, check it out at pbs12.org or the PBS12 YouTube channel. And don't forget to share your input with us at cio at pbs12.org. Thank you and have a fantastic night.